You are listening to Haftorah, the Shir series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftorah. At least that's what we usually do at Haftorah. However, as was mentioned in the previous Haftorah Shir, the mission statement of Haftorah changes due to the season and circumstances. We are in Bein HaMetzarim, the three weeks between Shavasar Batamas and Tishabav, where the Seder Shal Haftaros has changed so that it conforms not necessarily to any connections to the Parsha Shavua, but it follows the Talas de Paranusa, the three Haftaros of retribution, of misfortune, of affliction perhaps, Haftaros that admonish us towards perhaps the, the goal of Teshuvah and improving our ways uh, before Tishabav, hoping that we do not have to experience the Chorban again, but to let us know how to prepare for the Chorban and hopefully prevent it, And last week, for Parshas Pinchas, we replaced the Haftarah of Pinchas with the Haftarah of Parshas Matos. And that's what always happens when Shiv Asr Batamos takes place um, before Parshas Pinchas. Otherwise, we would read the actual Haftarah for Pinchas. But this week's Parsha is Parshas Matos Masay, and we continue the Talas de Paranusa, with the second of the three in the series, and that is the Haftarah for Parshas Maaseh, which continues the admonition from Yirmiya. Last week, we began with the Nevuah that Yirmiya receives as he and Hashem are going back and forth on Yirmiya's being chosen to be the bearer of bad news for Klal Yisrael. And we continue the the series of the Tlas de Paranusa with Perik Bey's Pasuk Dalid, and it goes all the way to Pasuk Chavches, so it's 2.4 to 2.28. And then we have the insertion of one Pasuk from Paragimel, so it's Paragimel, Pasuk Dalad, 3.4. And then we have two Psukim from Paragdalad, Psukim Aleph and Beis. So it's 2.4 to 2.28, then 3.4, then 4.1 and 2. As we dedicate this year, should have an Aliyah. And as we continue the normal routine of Haftorah from here on in until really the end of at least most of the Torah, well into Sefer Devarim, there will be another series of the Sheva Denechamasa, which we'll, we'll talk about uh, when we get to Parshas Veschanan. But the new mission statement, as we've mentioned, is to try to understand what is the message of the Navi specific to these times that we are in. That's true for the Tosta Parnusa, and that'll also be true for the Sheva de Nechamasa, um, the, the Seven of Consolation, which will each have a different message for us. And then, of course, that'll be followed by the, the Parshios that conclude the Parshios HaShavua, that conclude the Torah. And, of course, we will have the Haftar Shirim for the remainder of Yomim Tovim that we have not yet covered. But let's talk about our Haftarah right now. So after being prepared for the difficult mission of addressing a condemned nation, Hashem tells Yirmiyah exactly what he has to say to the people. So what is he to tell them? With that, we have the Haftarah for Parshas Maaseh, which again is the second of the Tlas de Paranusa. And here's where Yirmiyah's message of doom actually meets the people, the awaited words of rebuke. So what does he have to say? So from the beginning of his rebuke, starting all the way from the beginning, um, in a Pasuk, uh, Pasuk Dalit and Perak Beis, Yirmiya challenges the people 
for having abandoned Hashem for Hevel. They traded Hashem, as it were, for nothingness and for not seeking Him out. The Navi then proceeds to remind the people that it was Hashem who led them securely through the deathly wilderness and desert, the wasteland. He entered them into the fruitful promised land of Eretz Yisrael. We might say that all of the journeys Hashem led the Bnei Yisrael through, as recounted in Parshas Masay, were the ones that the Bnei Yisrael had forgotten. So if you're looking for any connections to the Parsha, well, Matos and Masay take us towards the end of the journeys of Kalal Yisrael, and Masay delineates all the different stopping points where, where Kalal Yisrael ended up, and in all those places where there were miracles performed for them at some of those locations, where there were salvations, and again, Kalal Yisrael seems to have ignored it. And the Navi then blames Kleinstrel for having contaminated the very promised land with their idolatrous practices. All around, it's pretty bad, but the message of the Haftarah seems pretty simple, at least from the beginning. Kleinstrel had betrayed Hashem's kindness. It's nothing particularly sophisticated or novel. Indeed, if that is all it is, a broadly religious betrayal of Hashem makes it kind of difficult for us to sort of develop a takeaway. In other words, where should we seek to improve in ourselves? Supposedly everywhere, right? Don't do idolatry, right? Don't, don't, don't do Avodah Zarah. Devote yourself to Hashem. Fulfill the entire Torah. Like, do we, do we really need a prophet for this kind of advice? Is there anything more here that the Navi seeks to convey so that we could pin down where we should be working on ourselves? Is that what the the Chorban is all about? That we didn't keep the Torah and we served the idols? Why didn't you just say so, right? Oh, okay, so just don't serve idols next time. In all seriousness, though, we, we need to we, we need to have like a, a, a message that, that, that resonates and a, maybe a message that would have a little bit of a Chiddush that should tell us where we should focus our, our energy to, to improve ourselves, Right? Why do, we, why do we need a lyrical prophecy and a haftar to demonstrate the point that, that serving idols isn't good? It, it, it's, it's just so simple. Or, you know, it just, it just seems that we're just, uh, at least from, from the standpoint of the Navi, if this is what we had to work on, we were just pretty bad at serving Hashem properly. I mean, Yermia continues his admonition by inviting the people to observe other people. And I think this is where maybe we start to get a little bit of a message. Right, Yermia says... Pass through the isles of Kitim and see Kedar. He urges them and continues. He says, and see if such has ever been. Yermia says, observe how other nations acted towards their fake gods. And it's like Yermia is telling them, as it were, to peek into the church or some other temple and see what the religious services look like when other people are practicing. And I think here's where Yermia begins to really make the point. Other nations don't just exchange their fake gods, but they remain devoted and loyal to those fake gods. Yet the Bnei Israel have exchanged the real thing, Hashem himself. It is regarding this exchange that Yermia blames the people for having committed what he refers to as Shtayim Ra'os, two evils. What exactly are the two evils? I only see one of Eira here, of Odazara. So where are the two? So oddly enough, when you look at the Pasuk, it sounds like, again, there is only one crime. In the Navi's words, the Bnei Israel exchanged the Makor Mayim Chaim, the spring of living waters, for Boros Nishbarim, broken cisterns, broken wells. 
Their sin was that they exchanged Hashem and His Torah for a cheap knockoff. So again, where 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 are the two evils? So on the one hand, Rashi and others explain that the very first evil was that really they rebelled against Hashem's will. And the second one is the one articulated in our verse, that Bnei Yisrael exchanged Hashem himself, as it were. Now, Art Scroll's Stone Edition Tanakh suggests alternatively that indeed the exchange itself contains two inherent evils. Number one was the forsaking or the trading away of Hashem, that is one sin. And number two is the substitution of Hashem for something of in of an unlimitedly lesser quality. Right? There is abandoning Hashem, there is I'm trading Hashem away, the giving up of Hashem is one. But then there is what did you trade Hashem for? That's the second evil. Right? It's enough that they have opted to trade Hashem away. But that which they've traded him for is the ultimate insult. And that harks back, I think, to the earlier verse, when the Navi the cries the nation's exchange of Hashem for Hevel, for utter nothingness. Either way, it is perhaps this point particularly that the Navi appears to be calling to our attention more than anything else. Like, of course, you have to keep the Torah and not serve idols. Those are the ABCs. And indeed, perhaps, it is rather juvenile for a Navi to have to remind us that. The problem is not merely that we have abandoned Hashem, something which should have obviously been something that we've been working on already, to not, not abandon Hashem. We should have known that. We should have known better. But the Navi's telling us we've added evil upon evil by exchanging Hashem, as it were, suggesting that there is even a substantial alternative to God himself in the makeshift gods, the broken cisterns which we've placed in his stead. It's not just our actions themselves, but this despicable context which the Navi denounces, the doubled evil. Right? That it's looking at what you've traded Hashem for. And every single time we do an Avera, that's the question we have to ask. Right? What was it that I did not do? And what did I do? When I did what I did, what was it that I should have done that I did not do? Every single Avera that we commit, really, we have to have in mind these, the, the, these, these two evils. Right? The evil or the evils underlying this exchanging of Hashem is significant because it actually gets to the heart, I believe, of what we mourn on Tisha B'Av, which is, you know, the, the, the root sin of Tisha B'Av, the original root sin was the Chet Maraglim, as we've explained earlier in our Haftarah series. Why was this particular sin greater than any other which the Bnei Yisrael had committed during their time in the wilderness? Every Avera, every stopping point listed in Maaseh, every complaint, the worshipping of the Cheta Egel, the golden calf, the Egel Hazav, that was borderline idolatry. And if the Bnei Yisrael are now being blamed for their idolatrous practices, the Cheta Egel should be the sin of discussion, No. That is what we reflected on for Shavastra Batamas anyway. But the sin of the spies, the Chet Maraglim, which was definitely bad, but it was not the first of the Bnei Israel's of Eros, nor would it be the last. Yet for some reason, the nation's response to the Maraglim's negative report of the promised land of Eretz Israel that has such further-reaching ramifications than any other error they've ever committed. 
It would become the harbinger of national generation-spanning mourning, as Chazal tell us that the day on which the Bnei Israel rejected Hashem's land was none other than Tishabav, the day on which many future tragedies would occur, or at least be attributed to, including the destruction of the two Batei Mikdash. As the Gemara in says on Chavtes Aleph, Rashi explains this to Tehillim, Kuf Vav, uh, Pasuk Chav Zayin. So, if the day on which we cried would be the day of national crying, we have to wonder what was so unforgivable about the Chet Maraglim. In its larger context, I would say that the Chet Maraglim occurred just when the nation was about to complete the goal that had taken off with the Tzias Mitzrayim. Their very exodus from Egypt was about to be completed before it got reversed and exchanged. And because Kleishal was so caught up in their new, more modern woes, they were they, they, they prepared themselves to completely reverse the effects of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And that happened because they had convinced themselves, as we always do, the grass is always greener on the other side. That could only have happened if they had taken their previous salvations for granted. And when that happens, we do exactly what they would do later in the times of Yermia, to substitute Hashem and His goals with their own. Yes, at the scene of the golden calf, we betrayed Hashem's will. But even that Chazal teach was a mistake within their attempted service at Hashem himself. It wasn't an exchange of Hashem. It was only pseudo-idolatry. It wasn't a display of ingratitude, of being an ingrate. It was not a complete turning away from Hashem. But at the Chet HaMaraglim, on the other hand, by literally requesting to turn back on Hashem's plan to go into Eretz Yisrael, to turn back into Nitna Rosh Venashuva Mitzrayim, to appoint a new leader and go back to Mitzrayim, there we've effectively exchanged Hashem. There we've effectively traded Hashem away. And it's for this reason that, as we've also explained earlier in this Haftarah series, that we sing the Kina of Eish Tukad which is devoted to depicting that contrast between B'tseisimi Mitzrayim and B'tseisimi Yerushalayim. What was it like to leave Egypt? What was it like to leave Yerushalayim? Because apparently when the Bnei Israel shed their tears in response to the Meraglim's report, they exchanged God and Yerushalayim for some alternative back in Mitzrayim. And if we look even further in our Haftarah, it's not just conceptually that the Bnei Israel repeat their exchange of the Meraglim, but in the wake of the Babylonian exile, Galus Babel, this Egyptian experience resurfaces. Indeed, the idols were not the only broken cisterns that the Bnei Israel had adopted. When the Babylonians began to conquer the Bnei Israel, the Bnei Israel actually sought allies in none other than Mitzrayim. Thus, the Navi urges that the Egyptian cities of Nof and Sachpanches would ultimately smash their skull, and then challenges them to answer how the waters of the Nile in Egypt are going to help them. And thus the Navi mocks Kleistral for ascribing parenthood to wood and stones and challenges, where are your gods now? Indeed, if they were so convinced of the exchange they've made, they should turn to their new gods and, and ask them to arise to save them. The Haftarah, however, once again leaves us off with maybe a little bit of a solution, a silver lining. Because at the very end, the Haftarah skips a few verses to where the Navi declares that if only from now the Bnei Israel call Hashem, they say, you are my father, you are the master of my youth, 
Then, at that point, says the Navi, maybe things could turn around. Obviously, no one is perfect in any area of life, no less in Torah fulfillment in Avodah Hashem. But I believe the message of the Haftarah is that if we can humbly express the foolishness of our exchange, look at what we have done and say, like, how could I have done that? Right? Any of error that we committed, look at the exchange. Don't just look at the of error in and of itself. Right? Th- th- think of the cost, the, the benefit, the cost, the worth, and uh, as, as the Vilna Gon explains, like the Mishnah Perkyavos tells us, the din v'cheshbon that we have to uh, uh, be reckoned when we stand before Hashem, right? the din and the cheshbon refers to what we did and what we should have done. What we did and what, and what was wasted, what could we have done in that time where we were not doing what we should have been doing. That's really what we need to focus on. And if we can humbly express that foolishness of our exchange and appreciate the gravity of the exchange, and then what we accomplish when we turn back on that exchange, I think naturally we'll be on our way back to Eretz Yisrael because we will be thinking, well, what, you know, what, what choices have I made up until now? Are my choices, the trajectory of my choices, are they in the direction of, of returning to Hashem? That we're going to sing on Tishabav if things go the way they've been going for the past hundred years, past thousands of years. Hopefully it should not be that way. But what's the trajectory that we are on? So we should be Zoha to cherish the relationship that we do have the opportunity to experience with Hashem every single day, every single moment of our lives. Never trade Him or His plan away for anything. And Hashem should cherish us to never trade us away forever, but to return us securely to His promised land of Israel with the coming of Mashiach, we should have a wonderful week. And of course, as always, if you enjoy sharing like this and others in the podcast, you want to partner with a sponsorship, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group where you'll find links to every uploaded share or links to sharing that I repost due to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data then base, B E I S at gmail.com. So next time, have a wonderful rest of your week. Of course, have a wonderful Shabbos, and thank you for joining us here at the Database.